Welcome to this episode of the John Henry Weston Show, where I'm very pleased to give you someone who is going to be able some, to answer some of the most difficult questions. All the time at LifeSite, we hear from parents who are really troubled about their kids are going to enter a same-sex relationship, or even if they are in such a thing, uh, you know, now the parents are being asked about going to a same-sex wedding and what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to deal with this? We're going to be talking to someone who's written a book about such things, but also also has lived inside this element. She's also got a new book out called Them Before Us. We're going to be talking to Katie Faust. Stay tuned. Let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Katie Faust, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, John Henry. I'm so glad to be here. Very good to have you. Um, tell, for, for those of our viewers who might not know you so far, tell us a little about your background and why you came into this field, which is so fraught with trouble and questions and accusations and all sorts of things. Please tell us how you got yeah. here. Well, I kind of like to say that the other side radicalized me, honestly. Um, like, I think I'm like a lot of your viewers where I just wanted to live my life. I wanted to keep my friends. You know, my husband's um, a pastor at a Baptist church. I was ministering to my people. I was raising my kids, um, my four kids. And um, but the other side really on the, on the topic right, right around the gay marriage debate in 2012, um, when it really started to heat up, what I heard the other side saying is kids don't need mom and dad, moms and dads. And they also said, also, if you disagree with us about gay marriage, that means you hate gay people. And I thought, okay, first of all, lie and lie, <laughs> because I had been working with kids for a couple of decades. And some of the deepest wounds that kids have and experience is when they have lost their mother or father. And it doesn't matter how, it doesn't matter if their parent died or if they lost them um, through divorce. Um, or now, you know, I'm acquainted with so many kids who are created through sperm and egg donation who experience profound loss um, because they have been intentionally separated from a mother or father. So I was like, kids don't matter. Kids don't care if they're being raised by two men or two women. What you're saying is they've they've lost their mother or father, and that's never a small thing for kids. Number two, this idea that if you support traditional marriage, um, you hate gay people is ridiculous. Um, you know, my parents were married until I was ten. They divorced. My dad dated and remarried. My mom repartnered with a woman, and they've been together for more than more than thirty years. I love them. I love my mom. I love her partner. I don't consider her partner my mother, but I consider her partner my friend. So this idea that animus or phobia or hatred or intolerance towards gays was motivating traditional marriage supporters, I just thought, well, this is this is insane. And so that was kind of my breaking point where I thought I, I need to start speaking up, especially when it comes to this lie that children don't need mothers and fathers. So that's kind of how I got into this business, this friend losing um, discussion. An incredible background. But also it, 
you are sort of a living, breathing example of the lie that's being told. And it's being told big time about those who defend traditional marriage, those who, like, which is very much close to your heart, defend the rights of children to have a mother and a father. And it really shows the lie of those who say, oh, you're a hater and a bigot. And it's it's funny, even from a very traditional Christian perspective, which, which we come from here, the whole notion of wanting everyone in eternal life is one of love, never one of hatred or bigotry or anything like that. So um, thank you for that. Let's well, talk- I think, let me just frame it even a little further. The reason why it's never motivated by hate is because we're always for something, right? We are for people being in a relationship with God. We are against certain ideas and certain behaviors. The same is true in the marriage and family debate. We are not against gays. We are not against people who are in struggling marriages or who are infertile or who are divorced or single mothers by choice. We're not against them. We are for children. We are for children's rights to be protected and respected. And that means we must be against certain ideas and certain behaviors and certain adult choices. But it's not because we're against those adults. It's because we are for children. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's really for the good of those children. You you talk about, you write about, and in your book, you, you cover many, many proofs, studies showing the harms that children experience from these types of things. If you would tell us a few of those. Yeah, you know, kind of the overall theme is, well, one of them is modern family is really just code for child loss. If you hear the term modern family, it really means the kid had to lose something to be in that family. Um, sometimes kids lose a parent to tragedy. Um, a birth, a birth uh, mother has to relinquish her child for adoption. We mourn over that, even though we recognize that adoption is, you know, as one of my adoptive parent friends says, divine plan B. We still recognize that there's loss there. If a child loses a parent to death, we mourn with them. But now we're in this new era where children are not losing their parents due to tragedy. Children are losing their parents through intentionality. Um, And that's an injustice. Anytime an adult asks a child to sacrifice so they can live as they please, that's an injustice, especially if it's happening, you know, within the Christian world. The weak don't ask the 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 weak don't have to sacrifice for the strong in our in our like faith lexicon right it's always the strong who sacrifices for the weak but in our cultural moment when it comes to marriage and family the exact opposite is true adults are expecting children to sacrifice their rights um, so the adults can live as they please and that's something that we fight against all through the book that we refute all through the book and we um, we are indiscriminate in terms of how, what we're going to go after when it comes to that. We, we land firmly on the rights of the child. And then we look at every marriage and family issue through the lens of that right. So the definition of marriage, right? We can come to a right understanding of the definition of marriage because man, woman, marriage for life is the only relationship that unites a two people, the two people to whom children have a natural right. We can look at no-fault divorce and say, this is an injustice because children will lose at least 50% of both parents and the stability that they need to thrive. We can look at same-sex parenting and say, look, kids are always going to be losing an adult to whom they have a natural right. They're going to be missing out on the maternal or paternal love that they crave. We can look at reproductive technologies, sperm and egg donation, where we are intentionally at birth separating children from their mother or father. We can look at surrogacy and say, look, this is always the loss of a child 
towards their birth mother with whom the only person that they really know in the whole world on the day that they are born. We can look at adoption and say, look, of all of these different situations, adoption is an institution centered around the needs of children, whereas reproductive technologies are a marketplace centered around the desires of adults. And so the whole theme through the book is, look, nobody gets a pass here. It doesn't matter if you're single or married or gay or straight. All adults must conform to the rights of all children. And unfortunately, right now in our culture, we've got that exactly backwards. Absolutely. What what an incredible lens to to view all of these problems that seem so, you know, momentous in, in people's lives. And yet focusing yeah. on them this way is an incredible lens to to see the truth for what it is, but also a challenge because these are not easy things. You're asking people to live virtuous lives, what used to be called virtuous lives, um, which take sacrifice, as you said. And it's challenging because that gets back to men being faithful to their spouses, uh, including not tempting themselves with looking even at films that might depict things that they know are going to tempt them and down the road might come infidelity, which is harmful to children. What do you, um, where do you, you know, I guess you don't even apologize for, for knowing that this is challenging and uh, calling for a sacrifice. Well, you call it living a virtuous life throughout every chapter of the book. We call it doing hard things. Hmm. That is, that is the only way this gets turned around. And that is that adults need to do hard things in every single situation, because when adults don't, what they're really saying is, I don't want to do the hard thing here, kid, you do it instead. Right. Like my, my husband is a pastor. We spend um, a fair amount of time doing marriage for couples that are struggling. I'm not going to diminish the challenges that married couples face. You know, you mentioned a couple of them. Um, there's endless reasons that couples struggle, but when we don't insist that the adults do the hard work, what we're really saying to them, if they say, you know what, I'm just, I just can't do this anymore. I'm just so frustrated with the financial situation or, you know, he doesn't communicate with me the way that I want. When adults in the situation of a married couple refuse to do the hard work, really what they're saying is, hey, kids, this cross is just too heavy for me. Here, you take it instead. And that is what we find in every single marriage and family issue. Somebody that experiences same-sex attraction, who desperately wants to be a parent, who probably would be an incredible mother or father. If they were to form their family around their emotional and romantic inclinations, rather than around a child's right to their mother and father, they're forcing the child to sacrifice for the sake of the adults rather than doing the hard thing and forcing their desires to conform to the child's rights. It's the same thing with couples who struggle with infertility, which is a crushing load. You know, for my friends who have struggled with infertility, they'll say, this is like having your heart broken month after month after month. But we as adults must address those devastating questions of infertility in ways that do not infringe on children's right, right to life or right to their mother and father. So there's nobody that gets a pass in the children's rights world. At some point, almost all of us um, are going to have to sacrifice our own desires to protect the rights of children. Um, and that's just something that is pretty absent from the culture today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, even though in the culture today, there are some areas people are willing to sacrifice for. There's all sorts of programs to uh, bodybuild and take on a special diet so you can look really super. And th that's hard to, to, to stop, you know, uh, drug abuse and drinking or something. 
Those are hard things. But those seem to be like the socially acceptable forms of sacrifice, whereas giving up the extra sexual desires or whatever else would also lead to uh, sacrifice is said, oh, no, you shouldn't do that. Yeah, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with the work of Helen Alvarez. Um, she's one of our advisors. She's, we cite her in chapter one of the book um, about how not just culture is moving away from encouraging adults to do hard things in the area of marriage and family, but the courts have, right? The courts over the last several decades have favored what she terms adult sexual expressionism over these fundamental rights of children. And so we've got we've got a battle on all fronts. We're fighting the culture. We're fighting, um, you know, the, the current uh, political push, the, the trendy political push, we're fighting many of these terrible court decisions that have come down. And so, you know, what we say in the book in chapter 10, it's all about like, how do we fight well? What does this global children's rights movement look like? And we tell people, you know what, no one's going to do this for you. Politicians aren't going to do this for you. Your celebrities aren't going to do this for you. The academia is not going to do this for you. You must do this. You must be the children's rights advocate, because if not you, then no one. Absolutely. Amazing. Tell us, and, and this is really some of the hardest questions we receive at LifeSite. You know, we are, well, our, our culture is, is full of right now, these broken relationships, these, these invitations really by the culture to enter into relationships, really that, as you said, are, are harmful for children. How is a parent to deal with this with their older kids who are considering a same-sex relationship or in one and now saying we're going to get married uh, and, and, and perhaps the parents are invited to a, a wedding or, or things like this? And it's just they're, they're not only heartbroken, they don't even know what to do to, to do we go and do this and, and do how? You know, and it's so confusing for people. I, I know you've spoken to this, so I'd be very interested to hear you respond. Well... How many, how long do you have? You know, <laughs> we've got the time. Because, this is one of those questions I think for most people is so burning. We're, we're willing but I to will say um, I'm a mom with four kids raising them in Seattle. A couple of them are at the public school now and have been in the past. And so um, I will say it is a war zone and I'm never, ever, we, we cannot diminish Right. The reality that our children are drinking a fire hose of ideology everywhere that they turn. They're getting it in the schools. They're getting on their social media platforms. They're getting it from their friends um, everywhere they turn. They are getting this distorted idea of what it means to be a human and what it means to be a woman and what it means to be a man and what marriage is and what children are and um, what you should do with your bodies. And so. Parents need to, first of all, hopefully when their kids are very young, be very honest with themselves about the threat. Yeah. And the reality that you will be fighting this on every side. So here's my brief recommendation. Up until age 10, you must saturate your children in truth and beauty. You need to filter out damaging and distorted ideologies and people that would seek to lead your kids astray, okay? Up until age 10 or 11. Once they get to middle school, they shift into a new way of thinking. You'll see it happen because they'll start saying, but how do we know that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Well, but what if we're wrong? But what if this isn't the truth? And a lot of parents are taken aback by that. Like they panic. Oh no, my kid's going to reject. No, that is simply your indication that they are ready to be equipped to be warriors. So by the time they are in sixth grade, you should be introducing them to challenging concepts. Your children, hopefully, my recommendation is you want to equip them to be experts on all of these difficult subjects. They should know more about it than all of their friends. 
That means that we have to talk with our kids sooner than we would like about things like socialism, abortion, transgenderism, same-sex attraction, all of the things that they're going to get the distortions from the rest of the world. You need to get to them first. And it's not just a little um, mom and dad come together in a special embrace and that makes a baby. Nope. You need to get down into the weeds with your kids. It has to be you. You have to be first because whoever the kid hears from first about all of these subjects, they are going to automatically consider the expert. So if the first time your kid sees porn is when his friend in sixth grade puts the cell phone in his face and says, look at this, who do you think the kid's going to go back to when he wants to know more information about porn? It's not going to be you. So parents, in those middle school times, especially, you need to get to your kids first, okay? Um, I actually did an article about this at the Federalist where I go into a little detail, but the bottom line is you have to equip your kids on these difficult subjects, and that means you're going to be talking about them a lot. When you see it in the news, you pull your kid into the world and you say, hey, look at this decision that the UK court just came out with last year saying that they feel like kids can't consent to puberty blockers. Do you know what a puberty blocker is? Why do you think kids can't understand the implications of that, right? And it's very much a Deuteronomy chapter six kind of thing, right? You talk about this as you walk along the road, when you sit down at a meal, when you lay down at night, you are bringing these questions and answers into every aspect of life. It's not a, we're gonna go over this book this week and then you never talk about it again. You've gotta instill these principles into your kids. You need to show them how it applies to real life because I guarantee you they are getting it everywhere else. And if you don't talk to your kids about this, the world is happy to do it for you. Wow. <laughs> that is, that is awesome. I know. And so true. How much time you have? No, it, it's, Oh, and we didn't answer the same sex wedding question. We absolutely. can talk about that too. Please do, because that, that's one of those burning questions, but that, what you've just said is such an eye opener. Um, I want to make sure just before we get to that, people know where to find you. People know where to find your book, uh, your other book and uh, where to find your site. If you can mention that first, and then we'll go into that, that second question. Yeah, so I run thenbeforeus.com, which is the only um, organization solely devoted to defending children's rights on this side of the womb. Um, I love my pro-life friends. I love the fight against abortion. I'm so grateful for the hundreds of organizations that are doing this. And now it's time to take that mentality into the marriage and family debate and defend children's rights now and here on this side of the womb. Um, I wrote a book called Them Before Us that is coming out in um, gosh, like two weeks from now um, with my co-author, Stacey Manning. You can find that on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Christian Books has it on discount right now. So if you need to avoid the um, Amazon pipeline, there's a great place to buy it. Um, I'm on Twitter and Facebook, but you know, I don't have a huge heavy presence. I'm really just an ordinary mom, probably just like you. Um, but that's kind of what we've got right now is we've got a lot of ordinary people who are willing to do the extraordinary things that the big people that we're electing to do or the, you know, the social influencers that it's just too expensive for them to do because this is hard, right? You choose to speak out on this. You're going to lose some friends and that's pretty painful for most of us. Like on the, I'm more of a grace giver than a truth teller naturally. And so it's hard for me to speak up on this because I, I don't want the rift and I don't want the conflict in my relationships, but kids are worth it. So we need to. Absolutely. And if this is your heart, boy, oh boy, you've been gifted in a huge way by the Holy Spirit. So let's get to that really hard one uh, with same-sex relationships and your kids. And what do you do when you're invited to a wedding and so on? How do you speak to them in a way that they can hear you and still hear your love? Good. Let's start with high schoolers, okay? Because my kids are in high school 
they have a lot of friends who are identifying as bi or trans or bi-curious or queer or whatever. So first of all, with your high schoolers, you wanna get down and um, first of all, you wanna be the person that they are talking to. So with high schoolers, rule number one, don't flip out, okay? When they say to you, hey, I kind of think that I'm bi or um, I feel like I might be a boy trapped in a girl's body. Your heart might think, what the? Your face needs to say, thanks for telling me. Like, can you explain it to me a little bit more? I'd love to just hear more why you're coming to those conclusions, okay? And so you are going to either be able to reaffirm to your kid in your response, whether or not you are the best person to talk to or the worst person to talk to. Now, I would recommend you, parent, becoming an expert on this. Um, I'm gonna shift really quickly and talk about Canavox. Cana Vox, C-A-N-A-V-O-X. It is the best place for parents, moms, dads to get equipped on all of these difficult topics so you are ready for those conversations. Canavox.com. Let's talk about the people with adult children who are in same-sex relationships, who have invited them to a same-sex wedding. Um, at Canavox, I help them with some videos um, called Dear Katie. You can find that at the Canavox website. And we have a video specifically on this. Here is the kind of Spark Notes version. Your daughter, who is in a same-sex relationship, is precious. You love her. There is no reason, there is no need, and you should not cut her out of your life, right? Actually, I would say you, meet, you should be the most faithful and the most devoted to her of anybody that she knows. I hope that my mom and her partner think of me that way. I hope that when they think about the top people that love them, I make like the top two. I hope that that's what they think about me. Um, so you should be hosting your daughter's birthday party. You should be having her and probably her partner over for brunch. But there are a few places where that is going to um, cross a line into your conscience. And I would say the same sex marriage is probably it. Because what really is a wedding, right? What is that? It's not, hey, we're celebrating her and her tennis partner's victory. You are celebrating the sexual union of two women. And you can look at that from the perspective of natural law and public policy and say, that is not what marriage is for. But my guess is many of your viewers also are going to have a conflict with that on a faith level. And so you cannot violate your conscience. And that's really painful because we all know that the world is telling that daughter that this is who she is, that if people do not accept not just her feelings of same-sex attraction and recognize that as a reality, but also validate and encourage and endorse all of her same-sex behavior and choices, that they are rejecting that woman herself. And so it, that is a very difficult situation and one that I think requires um, a lot of contemplation and prayer, but ultimately, um, what you're doing when you attend a same-sex wedding is you are validating a same-sex sexual union. Um, and for many Christians and Catholics, um, and even those who are basing their arguments on natural law, that would be one of the few activities that you would say, that's not something I can participate in. But I also don't want to sugarcoat that we all know that there's a cost to making that decision. Yeah. Yeah. These, these costs are very, very real. Sometimes it leads to sometimes temporarily, but, you know, real outbreaks of animosity and, and rejection and saying, never contact me again. Are there ways back? You've been in this for a long time. You've talked to a lot of people who have gone down this road. Um, is there hope on the other side of having to make that hard decision and doing it in love as best you can and, and having befriended them and having done sort of everything you thought in, in your heart and with your faith and with with any reason that you could muster, this was the right thing, but still I'm being rejected here. Um, 
in the in the long run, have you seen some hope come from that stance? Yeah. Well, I will quote um, one of my favorite writers. His name is Doug Mainwaring. I think you probably know who he is. Um, and I love it because he says, you'll never be on the wrong side of history when you're on the right side of natural law. And that is just that these truths be buried. It doesn't matter what kind of legal decisions are being made. It doesn't matter where it's going. Natural law, the realities of what it means to be human, the realities of male and female are going to rise to the surface at some point. And hopefully when they do, either in relationships or in public policy discussions, um, we are going to be able to return to a more human honoring perspective. Um, you know, what you're talking about is very real right now. I was talking with one of my children who has said, mom, my friends are going in a really difficult direction. Um, I've been really understanding. I've asked lots of questions. I've empathized. Um, I've tried to really get in and do hard things with them so that they know I'm committed to them. But it's time. It's time for me to say something. But I know the cost is going to be high. I know that some of them are going to say, I don't want to be your friend anymore. And I said, okay, let's figure this out. Um, because there are good reasons to lose friends. And that's what we need to think through. What are the reasons to lose friends? And it, I, you know, what we boiled it down to is you need to lose friends because you are speaking the truth, but you cannot lose friends because you fail to speak the truth in love, right? So how can you make sure that it's only the truth? And, and this, this reality is reflected in first Peter, um, that Christ and his truth is a rock. Some of us build our lives around it but some people stumble over it. You don't get to decide whether or not the truth is a rock. You should not try to change it into anything but a rock. It's simply a question of, are people going to build their life around the truth you're sharing or will they trip over it? So you need to make sure that how you present this, that his truth, Christ's truth, the reality of our bodies is the only thing they have to stumble over. Not because you chose a poor time to speak about it, not because you didn't lay a great foundation, not because you added in additional stumbling blocks to their path. This truth is enough. And if they choose to stumble over it, there's nothing you can do about it. So um, I think that kind of helps free us up. Sometimes we think there's a way that I can do this where everything's gonna be fine. No, sometimes it won't be fine, but there's reasons for it not to be fine that are acceptable. Wow. <laughs> Amen. Uh, Katie Faust, you, that is just amazing. I want to thank you so much for being with us on the John Henry Weston show. And I'm going to encourage, please, all of our viewers, please go check out Katie's website, um, thembeforeus.com, and you'll be able to reach her there and all of her uh, amazing offerings. Many thanks again, Katie. Thanks for having me. And God bless all of you. We'll see you next time on the John Henry Weston show. Hi, this is John Henry Weston, the co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News. I'm coming to you today because we want to be sure that we're communicating clearly with you, our loyal followers. Things are really heating up, as I'm sure you can see. Christians, conservative truth-tellers are being targeted, are being banned from social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at an alarmingly fast rate. They are attempting to suppress any narrative that does not fit that of the mainstream media. We knew this day would come. We have been warning everyone who would listen and attempting to build up alternative platforms to continue to reach you. 
We have established ourselves on all sorts of platforms I'm going to explain in a minute, but the most important thing to do is come direct to lifesitenews.com because there we will always be. But we've also established ourselves on platforms like Parler and MeWe, and our videos can be found on Rumble as well. We would love to see each of you on those platforms too, as they are not censoring or suppressing the truth that we are sharing every single day. More than these alternative social media platforms, we highly encourage you to subscribe to our email newsletter. We have really built up a large list of loyal readers on our email marketing platform, and we have prepared several backup plans for, well, I want to say if, but it's really when, we are removed from our current platform as well. Additionally, I really encourage you, as I said before, to make it a regular habit to go directly to lifesitenews.com. Make it your homepage. While all of these different platforms are an excellent way to curate your news, going directly to our website means that you will never encounter any censorship or sudden loss of LifeSite News reporting. Here's the thing. We will never stop sharing the truth. We founded this organization with the mission to be the life, family, and culture source for men and women who seek to know the truth. We have established a track record of honest reports, and this will never stop, even with censorship happening around the globe. Again, I'm encouraging you to join us on Parler, MeWe, Rumble, and on our email list. You can find all the direct links in the description of this video. May God bless you and keep you, and we are so thankful that you've chosen to follow and support LifeSite News. I'm John Henry Weston, co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News.